Welcome to Future Forecast. This is a no-filter podcast where we debate topics that are typically glossed over by the mainstream media. These are hand-picked topics that we think deserve a deep dive. I'm your host, Haina. And this is Fox. And today's topic is green energy and their impact on the world around us. So before we jump right into it, our social media links are in the description. And as always, all our sources are linked below. The points we bring up are our opinions, and unfortunately, due to the way the world works, we need to say that we are not bona fide experts, and the opinions do not constitute investment advice. So take everything we say with a grain of salt. All right, let's jump into it. All right, so we assume that our listeners are at least a little slightly savvy, but just in case, Hyena, I have an article here from the IEA saying that the solar PV deployments will continue to break records with annual additions reaching 162 gigawatts by 2022 which is almost 50% higher than the pre-pandemic levels, and also that global wind capacity additions increased more than 90% in 2020 to reach 114 gigawatts. So from my perspective, the green shift is well underway, and um, I think at least by 2035, the entire grid will be renewable in most of the developed world. See, I'm not 100% convinced by that, but then again, you know, this is just based on my own opinion. Like, from what I've watched, from the news and also just like from what I've seen over there and just read uh, read some articles they're they're saying that it should be renewable by 2050 but you know this is the mm-hmm. whole point right we're going to be talking back and forth and we're going to try and see what makes sense but anyway go yeah. ahead with what you think and I mean I mean I think the especially the people writing uh, the media articles they tend to not really understand what they're writing about okay yeah (laughs) let's just say let's just say yeah um and also uh the sources they get their news from tend to be like very scholar like like they let's say they interview some scholarly expert some professor um they're very cautious people right yeah and also government institutions uh the 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 letters that they're the government's uh put out um, they're very conservative. They don't want to promise anything to their constituents. So typically, um, you know, the, what they the, they have information that's very conservative and then they don't understand it really. They don't question it and they just publish it. And if you look at it from kind of like a, a logical perspective, if the economics are on the side of uh, renewable energy, which I would say it already is probably um, economically... Uh, advantageous at least to 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 deploy let's say solar and wind already and then maybe um, even you know nuclear or whatever um, so it's already advantageous uh, most people are already starting to deploy these as part of the grid yeah um, very I, I would say I, I think uh, I don't have the statistic here but I, I've read before somewhere that um, almost like whatever 70 to 80 percent of new coal power plants are just canceled like, it's just not economically feasible anymore to, to make coal power plants. Well, that's the thing, right? It depends on which countries, but yeah, I mean... Yeah, I think this was, like, in the U.S. Like, there's the a US? few a few states maybe that still do it because it's, like, subsidized the coal and clean coal and Trump and whatever. Not like, to get political, guys, you know? <laughs> I mean, but what do you think about... I, I think, is it England? Does England still run, like, coal-powered mm. uh, plants? Because that, I'm not 100% um, sure. Yeah, so I think... It's, yeah, they probably have still like natural gas. Well, they have a big natural gas reserve. Yeah, uh, the true. UK has yeah. the Brents. I think it's Brent Sea or no, the North North Sea. North North Sea. Anyways, yeah. the North Sea deployments is always growing, and they have a lot of natural gas, a lot of oil extraction there. Um, they do have a lot of wind in development. I know that a lot of um, offshore wind is being developed in the UK. 
and then uh, that's expected to actually power you know a significant portion in the next like let's say ten years. And yeah, just to let, just to just to let you know, yeah, it is. It's called the North Sea Gas. Uh, oh, yeah, there you yeah, go. yeah, yeah. That's the thing. It's it's apparently stationed also in uh, Scotland. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, that's why actually the you know, separatist movement in Scotland. I it's basically it. because Scotland has all the oil, and they have their slogan, "It's Scotland's oil." Oh, <laughs> and um, and basically, yeah, they're the rich um, part of the country bankrolling all of the rest of the of of the UK, except for London, which is like has capital markets. But yeah, anyway, there's a whole political uh, thing that issue we could go there. With yeah, that. yeah, but uh, let's just. Stick but, I mean, to... we yeah. I mean, I don't know enough about UK politics to really I've, give an informed opinion on that one uh, honestly i know I've, i know it's a thing though <laughs> honestly i've just spent most of my time just learning medieval history not that it's going to be very useful here but hey you actually know, you know like... what um history always repeats itself and i think it's very useful to learn um even medieval history um like you can actually see like the bubonic plague <laughs> and parallels to uh to what's going on now oh, around the world God. um you know people people uh learn for a short period of time, then forget their lessons and then repeat them. So, so, so you're basically saying with Scotland, we're going to have another Braveheart going on there, but just modern, yeah, I mean, just modern. I just... mean, they were very close to separating. It was it's very, true, very close. It? Yeah. it was almost as close as, uh, you know, uh, Barcelona, uh, was it? Catalan, Catalan, Catalonia, Catalan. Yeah. Um, uh, Quebec. Uh, there's a, there's been a few, a very, very, very close calls. Nail-biter nail, nail yeah. results. And, and yeah. the, the reason some people, well, in the UK anyways, uh, Scotland, uh, decided to stay in is that they were part of the European Union. True. And now that they're not part of the European Union, they, they the, the whole reason they voted is, like, nullified. So exactly. it's possible that in the next few years, there's going to be, like, another um, counter-attack by the opposition, and they'll have a revote, and then they might actually succeed this time. So watch out for that, viewers. If you're in Scotland, um, you know, keep, keep well. <laughs> it's gonna get pretty. It's gonna crazy. be rocky, man. Yeah, it's, it's gonna be gonna rocky. Be crazy. Um, um, all right. So let's just let's just get back. Yeah. To... So I think so. I think by yeah by yeah. 2035, like it, it already let's say in many places in the country, makes economic sense to only deploy renewables, and the cost curves are actually um, getting. Uh, you know, declining, so it's going to get even more and more um, incentivized to deploy renewables. So, let's say if we just say, okay, we're 2021 now. Um, let's say, on average, a lot of the equipment within a power plant has a 20-year lifespan. Mm-hmm. Um, like, let's say the, the the power plant itself has a 50-year lifespan, but let's say a lot of the equipment inside will be 20 years, um, and then they just they're, they're planning to let's say renovate, um, refurbish some of these like let's say electrical panels and uh, a lot of the turbines turbines maybe because it's moving so it has a lower lifespan um maybe 10 years even they need to be replaced so um what will probably happen is that let's say most power plants are already old so let's say at least i'm assuming let's say five years old yeah so by in 20 years they're gonna get to the point uh well in 15 years let's say 2035 they're gonna get to the point they're gonna say hey it's now time to re, re uh, refurbish these turbines and it's going to cost us let's say whatever in this power plant 100 million dollars mm-hmm. and by then let's say solar po- power is going to be like i don't i don't know what the actual uh, dollar i think it's like a what is it a dollar per is it a uh, dollar per tile or is it yeah something like that, something I don't, like that. we should we should know yeah, this guy for this whole yeah, topic but, yeah but <laughs> maybe look know, it up yeah yeah we're gonna um, start looking up but anyways so yeah. if it, it i think the, the cost declined something like 20 20 percent per year or something like that 
So in 20 years, it's going to be like so cheap. Um, they're going to look at it and we're going to say, you know what, let's just, let's just close this plant, man. It doesn't make any sense. And <laughs> so, so you'll probably get to the point where they're even going to be closing plants down. They probably are already closing down plants right now. And, um, so yeah, just to let you know, I don't know if this is what, uh, this is what we should mention, but, uh, yeah, at the moment, at the moment, like, uh, like let's say, uh, solar installation costs. Yeah. Installation costs for solar power in Canada. And anyway, it's kind of like $3 two dollars and one cent per watt or yeah. about uh, 22,000 mm-hmm. per uh, what is it for a 7.5 kilowatt system but anyway yeah okay that's pretty good so let's say three dollars a watt and it goes down by I don't know we can even uh, do quick maths man like uh, uh, 30 let's say 20 percent per year um, then uh, you know in 15 years what are we what are we looking at here yeah, I'm really <laughs> terrible on math. You're gonna have to. You're gonna have to <laughs> do right, give this. Give me part. a second <laughs> yeah, if you want to. But yeah, so while while you're doing that, like I I do have a question to to ask you or like your your thoughts anyway at uh, at some point. So what I'm thinking is what what do you think will be uh, the most predominant uh, renewable energy mm-hmm. that's going to be used? Yep. Okay. So um yeah, just hang on. Yeah. On that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um. So basically, let's say in 10 years, if you do, if you say 20% decline per year, you're looking at around a 10 times decline in the cost. So around 30 cents installation cost. So okay. like imagine, imagine, you know, 10 times cheaper. <laughs> like, uh, it, it'll, yeah, I think, I think it'll be. So what? And that's in 10 years, right? So if you say that right now, it's renewables about- are almost cost, you know, let's say, let's say they're 20% higher or yeah. whatever whatever metric you want to say, even it's double priced to do mm-hmm. solar right now than coal or something, then, you know, by middle of the decade, it'll be cheaper. And then by the end of the decade, it'll be way, way cheaper. So let's say it takes five years to build a new power plant or something with a regulatory approval, construction, whatever, design. So yeah, by 2035, every, every new power plant will be uh, a new, like a uh, renewable energy. Exactly source but but yeah back to that it's just like for renewable energy sources like what do you think will be the most predominant mm-hmm. like do you think do you think is it going to be like solar for the most part is it going to be wind turbine or maybe it might be a collection of all three but which one do you think yeah is the most predominant one so i think it'll be predominantly solar like if you look at all life on earth it's basically just solar driven if you think about it right mm-hmm. like plants and algae and bacteria they they ingest solar radiation and transform that into um fuel basically to fuel themselves and we eventually eat the plants and you know uh, whatever I mean, there's still air and you know there's still yeah but even even if you i think well, i'm not a meteorologist guys <laughs> um, if you look at if you look at wind it's technically just you know the heat from the sun uh, mm-hmm. influencing like the, the, the air and then causing like a low and high pressure system and yeah. and you know causing the air to to circulate to circulate to, i think to... I, i'm not sure if it has anything to do with the rotation of the earth guys uh, <laughs> like uh, honestly someone someone who's listening to this could correct yeah us. they're gonna be like oh, it's the rotation of the earth then <laughs> no no i don't know someone's gonna be mad <laughs> it's like you peasants what are you guys doing i have a phd in uh <laughs> in, 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 in air science <laughs> it's like oh damn planetary air science, science damn man smart people smart people but yeah, um, yeah so. but i think yeah even yeah let's say like ocean currents it's like the the difference of of temperature gradients in the ocean 
because the warm water at the top of the ocean falls mm -hmm. and then creates kind of like this this conveyor belt, right? Right. Okay. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, like at the end of the day, it's all back to um, the sun, which is in itself a nuclear energy source. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, basically, I think solar will be the vast majority. Um, I think it's also it's because it's also the easiest to maintain, right? It's you just kind of leave it there and maybe clean the the, the, the tiles once in the a while, tiles, right? The panels, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, but but the thing is that in terms of density, the wind, like the footprint of wind and and the amount of power it could provide is, is pretty high and and also a bit more consistent. Um, so yeah, it'll be let's say, and also at night, you typically don't use as much power, right? You're sleeping. So yes. when solar is at the least effective is when you need less energy, right? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I think it'll be a majority, let's say like 60% uh, PV with some storage of some mm -hmm. sort. Yeah. And then maybe, you know, like a 20, 30, 30% wind and then 10%, you know, maybe nuclear, hydro, where you can get hydrogen. a geo. Well, there could be still hydrogen. I mean, it's just because like while we're... Since I think, we're I think hydrogen will be a good storage medium. Hydrogen could be a like like um medium. like you okay. know um right now they're storing like if you need to store solar power you st store it in batteries right right yeah and um, speaking from experience it, these are like for for a megawatt let's say mm -hmm. you're talking about like a whole room of batteries um, even with the today's current technology um, and they're very expensive they're let's say for a megawatt you're gonna look at let's say like three hundred thousand dollars of really? batteries oh wow and okay. that's only to give you around um 10 minutes of battery life three hundred thousand dollars so so yeah like uh, it might be that it'll be cheaper to just pump like hydrogen and then release it when you need it and then uh, so, so that will be the storage mechanism because yeah. you can have on land these giant giant like sphere tanks and uh or you know even on the ports usually there's these giant tanks that hold the gas like the, the natural gas and maybe if you don't need natural gas anymore you can convert it you'll just have these facilities that kind of that push, push back yeah store and in, in the day they build up capacity mm -hmm. in the night they like lower down they, they start ramping and flooding energy back into the grid mm -hmm. so maybe something like that um but or or the offhand is that uh battery technology will get so good that uh it'll actually be better than um hydrogen storage i do have actually an article here where they're projecting that um, there's new technologies uh, of of batteries that can actually of lithium lithium batteries that can actually uh, have an energy density that's higher than hydrogen uh, hydrogen storage. So let me try and find this. Yeah. So there's lithium oxide or dioxide battery. Um, so the, the theoretical specific energy of this battery is around three thousand five hundred watt hours per kilogram. So that's um, I think that's pretty that's higher than than uh than uh, what's it called hydrogen so well also also think about it this way it's just like what like what will make hydrogen to like to start off with like what what are the medium to create hydrogen because from what i've from what i've read and what i from what i understand anyway it's that it it's energy intensive to to even create that separation to to be able to create hydrogen to begin with uh, you need mm -hmm. to put you need to put quite a lot of energy into it so yeah. um, i mean 
I, for, I don't know if I have the exact statistic here in front of me, but um, it actually is a fairly efficient process. I would oh, say yeah. all things considered, like, um, you know, there are losses along the entire chain, um, you know, like storing it, you, you lose uh, energy from the, from, you know, cold leaching out. Um, there's the, the, the pumps that are, have an efficiency loss, the pipes, uh, the pressure differentials, uh, you know, they're, they're, the whole chain um, has has a bit of loss, but it's actually for it's fairly efficient for an entire system. Like it, people don't realize how inefficient the world around them is. Everything is a lost source. I mean, um, even, I mean, like as far as I understand, like from uh, some some of the things that I that that I took notes of, it's just that you know it's about like what eight hundred forty forty three metric tons of CO two for hydrogen production a year. That's mm-hmm. like one thing. One thing that I was reading about, but it's also it's also it depends. It it depends on the level of hydrogen produ- production because um, what they've mentioned is like there's brown hydrogen, gray hydrogen, blue hydrogen, and then green hydrogen. These are different colors. Mm-hmm. I don't know much about this. <laughs> I I'm not really much of a science person, but I mean, from from what I get, it's just that at the moment about let's say. 41.9% of that hydrogen is produced by like natural gas, 16 by coal, uh, and like what 40 40.9% made by fossil fuels, which is pretty intense I find. So mm-hmm. there so the the idea of green hydrogen it's still it's still on its way, but I mean yeah, I think I think green hydrogen just means that it's um the power that's being used to perform that conversion is, is solar, from the yeah, renewable like source. Wind, yeah. wind turbine or something. Yes, exactly. of course. Yeah. So I think, yeah, eventually we just say that everything, we're going to assume that if we assume that all energy will eventually be green, we assume therefore it necessarily means that all hydrogen will be green, <laughs> green hydrogen. But what, what a lot of people have mentioned is that, you know, it's resource intensive to, to make hydrogen, but, when you when you think about it in one way it's kind of like if this is being if this is being made by green hydrogen which if it's being if it's being created by like uh wind like let's say wind source or or a solar solar power source then i mean it's there's nothing wrong with it the way that i say because this is just pure green energy you're you're not doing anything you're not doing anything wrong in fact you're just creating a different a different way maybe might not be as efficient but i don't Think that that's a bad idea what do you think like okay. like what i mean is it's not it's i don't think it's a bad idea to produce hydrogen using these these different forms of like green energy as opposed to everything else because a lot of people are against it because they're like oh you're wasting so much energy to create hydrogen when you mm-hmm. could be using this energy in a different in a different way but yeah I'm, so i mean uh, my response to that is that um well economics will prevail <laughs> yeah, um you know if it ends up being that in the at night it's actually cheaper to just overbuild wind and then um, not store any energy uh it will it will happen but i, I think it was, i think eventually it'll be just cheaper to store energy in some way um there are inefficiencies with batteries anyways so at, at the same time yeah like the there's the, from the uh, how do you call it the the anode and cathode that uh, has a loss the the heat there's heat produced when you're running batteries right, that's a yeah. loss um there's a there's a conversion that needs to be uh taking place when you're charging and discharging because well it's actually a double conversion because basically 
uh, batteries produce DC voltage and the grid consumes AC voltage. So there is a, a that's pretty big loss. It's like three to five percent, mm-hmm. like just straight up one way and then three to five percent the other way when you're discharging. Right. So it's um, yeah. So let's say ten, like no matter how efficient you get, there's already, let's say, 10 percent loss like built in just because we use AC voltage to do everything. Um, but it's but the thing is the whole idea of using AC voltage and I'm not going to uh, say it's a basically it's because AC voltage has a better transmission, uh, transmission characteristic yeah, you can exactly. go longer distance without having to deal with the losses yeah um, yeah and yeah yeah there's a whole bunch of reasons yeah, for it yeah exactly um, but yeah so I mean uh, so I would I would say to that that uh, we will have to store energy somehow probably hydrogen might be a good candidate um okay and when we'll see i guess yeah that's we'll see because I, mean, I, I think it's not yeah. uh, any worse as a storage medium than um batteries right now mm-hmm. so we'll see how batteries evolve and how hydrogen sources evolve and uh yeah actually we can talk about um, battery technology advancements but uh, sure yeah so i mean um I would definitely uh, invest into uh, battery manufacturing. Batteries are going to be everywhere, especially if you need to put them on a car um, and a boat and a plane and everywhere. Um, basically, uh, yeah, basically a good, good kind of, it's probably like Catl, uh, C-A-T-L, L-G, um, B-Y-D, the, the Chinese company, um, Panasonic, Japanese company. Uh, there's like a lot of competitors and they're all coming out with their own kind of technology mm-hmm. uh, and and actually i think uh, uh and i have a, a paper uh, paper somewhere but basically there's like more uh papers being written uh for ba- new battery technologies like every year year on year for the last like 10 years so there's more and more research being done mm-hmm. and more and more possible yeah here actually last 20 years there's been 170,000 papers published wait what 170,000 papers just on new developments of various kinds of batteries okay and um and so like there's there's all kinds of new technologies like there's lit so lithium um sodium there's like uh compounds with uh, zinc aluminum Aluminum, uh, potassium potassium, lithium sodium lithium uh, dioxide there's like all kinds and you know maybe some of them are probably better at some applications than others depends what kind of characteristic you need if you need looks like fast charging you need slow decaying mm-hmm. so it might be that you'll see a whole bunch of different ones um in use at any given moment um but yeah if you like it actually in the next graph you see how batteries are actually following um like a pretty linear growth curve in amp hours per every year there's a 0.12 amp hour per year growth in the capacity of cylindrical cells so we can actually project fairly uh, consistently what we're, we're actually going to see it's actually around a uh, a doubling from 2010 to 2030 in the capacity of batteries right so let's say let's say we're halfway let's say let's say a tesla built in 2010 what, what was the range like 200 kilometers i think it was something yeah it was about like 200 oh. kilometers something something it must have been a bit more right? yeah. but yeah let's say let's say it'll be it'll be easily double right and, and that model but uh, i mean uh, it's not good. That's not a good way to say it because they've also probably like there's it's um they've put more batteries in the same footprint, and they've um you know found more areas and more space 
they put the batteries, they put in the chassis, they've uh, they found ways to it. retrofit. They found ways to retrofit the uh, the well, the car, the car and the battery to to put things together. But I think mm-hmm. if I if I understand correctly, that was with the Roadster. I think with the Tesla Roadster. Yeah, exactly. They've also yeah. I mean, there's whole reasons why. Like they, their software is a bit more efficient. Their motors are a bit more efficient. Um, but like you know, there's there's a whole the the, the yeah the magnets uh, every everything superconducting magnets and stuff like that. So there's a whole bunch of uh, reasons. Yeah. Thank you for the coffee. So <laughs> while we're doing this, we we often quite drink quite a lot of coffee. So I think I'm on my uh, fifth. Today. This is something uh, like that. <laughs> so coffee, coffee is basically uh, runs in our blood. Fuels, fuels the imagination. Fuels it's the, fuels the imagination. It's a <laughs> black liquid gold. Uh, one of two. The other one being oil. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think it's actually. <laughs> this is a tangent, guys. This is a tangent. Yeah. <laughs> but I think there's like a statistic where like coffee is the is actually worth more per weight than gold. I mean, what? And, uh, gold and and I think um oil. Yeah, oil really? and gold. Yeah. If okay. you actually like calculate like, you know, how heavy is a cappuccino from Starbucks, right? Like, oh, okay, it weighs like, uh, I don't know, 300 grams or something, right? And it's like worth like $6 or whatever it is. What? So, so if you actually think about it per pound, it's actually one of the most expensive materials in the world. Um, anyways, it's, it's pretty funny that, and so actually, yeah, it's, it's one of the two black gold, uh, liquid golds on the world is, uh coffee it's and it's also the most widely consumed legal drug <laughs> that is true. that is also a true and um yeah it's also the beverage of choice for much of the world like uh, i think on average let's say i think in like the netherlands or something they like the average person consumes like five cups of coffee a day or something something crazy like that i don't know how they do that but um yeah there's all kinds that could be a topic in itself is uh, the economics of coffee and uh and how 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 we've gotten to this point so basically three cups per day three cups per day it's three still cups. pretty good that's an average right so that means there's people above the average or you know there's people under obviously but you know five cups a day is a lot of uh, there's a vast majority uh, well not majority but a vast number of people in that country consuming five or more cups of coffee a day let's say if you do a six sigma analysis so yeah that's um that's a, a nice tangent, but um, back to uh, back to topic. renewable energies. Yeah. So, um, so where do we want to go from this? So basically, batteries. There's a lot of innovation happening. A lot of papers being published. A lot of funding going into the next batteries. There's lots of different technologies available. The problem is that a lot of these are take really um, rare like rare earth metals so actually guys invest in rare earth metals <laughs> there's it's real like like the name suggests it's rare so that's one of the problems right it's it's rare it's hard to um get obtain these rare earth metals because the process is very dirty in most um most cases you need to like create this like they call it brine but it's really like a sludge man <laughs> that's yeah. a, a better name for it because the brine sounds too nice it's like pickles <laughs> yeah, brining, yeah, yeah. yeah but yeah it's like this like toxic brine that you can't really um you know sift through very well and, and then you have to refine it and then you can use it for these batteries and the manufacturing process is very costly and it it, it doesn't scale well so that, that's mostly the problem is that they can't manufacture these batteries at scale economically and once they figure that out with new 
you know, catalyst uh, processes and things like that, then eventually we'll have these. But these are 20 year old technologies. They've been researching them for 20 years. Um, and they know that the entry energy density um, is, is there. Like it's, it's, it's a proven technology. It's just the manufacturing is the part that's the hard part. So like, I, I think we'll, we'll get there eventually. And, um, and, and we'll see, man, we'll see which, which uh, technology gains traction and for which application. Well, that's the thing. When it comes down to application, uh, and I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to dial this back to, to hydrogen just, just for a quick minute. Um, the thing is, the thing is, uh, I believe per like personally, hydrogen is going to be something that's going to be used m for the industrial, um, the industrial sector. And I think we did, we may have talked about this. I'm not, I'm not quite sure, but, um, if I, uh, if I understand correctly, uh, hydrogen is most likely going to be used for like, you know, Freight shipping, possibly airplanes, yeah. stuff like that. Stuff, stuff where it's not going to be used by, um, or even like tankers, uh, tankers and containers, uh, shipping containers. Because the thing, the thing is, is that I, to me anyway, I don't think it's going to be used by the public, uh, public consumer due to the the enormity of costs, infrastructure setup, and whatnot. So I mean, yeah, I mean. So I think, yeah, um, uh, there's pro there already is a technology demonstrators for airplanes um, where, um, where hydrogen powers the, the vehicle. So it does work. However, I don't know if it'll ever really gain traction. Maybe there'll be some niche application for it where you need to like, I don't know, fly for extended periods of time or something like that um, for like, re like uh, reconnaissance aircraft for the military. For example, but even then, there's a uh, there's solar planes that can actually fly indefinitely that they've been testing. So, uh, yeah. So indefinite flying, <laughs> like, but um, yeah, I, I, it, there's a whole host of problems of, you know, carrying hydrogen with you pressurized while in the air, <laughs> like for safety consideration. Um, the tanks would probably need to be even thicker to resist the pressure of the air when you're higher up. Mm -hmm um so there's there's interesting considerations where i don't think it'll eventually be viable i think for boats it's the most likely candidate because they, they've tested a boat where you can they, they put solar panels on the top of the, the cargo ship and that performs the electrolysis and it's relatively efficient process to transform uh, seawater into usable hydrogen and there's, um, you know, boats, you know, if you have tanks on the boats, it's kind of like they already put natural gas into these boats sometimes, right? So, and, and weight is not really an issue yeah. for these boats. So, uh, but, but energy density and the capacity not to rely on, on weather uh, is more important, I guess. So I, I would see a, a use case where maybe long haul freight shipping by, by ocean is, is going to be maybe used. You, you know also the ports are next to um, refineries typically mm -hmm. if you look at a lot of cities so it's easy to convert these into hydrogen storage facilities where they pump the hydrogen they take up water from the ocean or the port uh, which is next to the water and convert it and then pump it back into the ship and then the ship can drive off and then it only needs half of the energy because it could re 
you know, get hydrogen itself from the water as it travels. Yeah. So it needs even less uh, fuel. So I think that is a possibility. I think maybe there'll be like some stopgap where you see hydrogen trucks for a short while because it could be refilled very quickly. So maybe um, truck stops might have some hydrogen station. Um, but I think eventually all land-based transport will be battery-based just because of like the safety and the you don't have to deal with pressurized tanks. And So when you say land-based, do you mean like uh, industrial or do you mean consumer? I mean, yeah. Because what do you, you, what do you mean by like the, industrial, like industrial processing? Or? No, no, no. I, what I mean is, um, so, so what I mean is like, is it going to be industrial meaning? Is this going to be done by transporting companies like transportation? Or is this more like it's for consumers and end users? Oh, no, I mean like the, um, the truck itself will run off of hydrogen. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then um, you'll see like a lot, of, a lot of mines right now like work off of natural gas and uh, diesel. So they actually have to get shipments of diesel and that because obviously it's not really that feasible to make a power plant right next to the yeah whatever the well i mean it is a power plant it just runs off of natural gas so they have to ship in trucks of natural gas so maybe for mines and things like that you might see it based off of hydrogen mm -hmm. where they just have water maybe some solar and it just creates the hydrogen and they get extra shipments of hydrogen for by truck or something like that so anything off-grid you might see like the building itself use hydrogen as a and but what i find interesting is uh, i mean and you could correct me if i'm wrong but I think hydrogen is the most expensive infrastructure to build in comparison to solar and wind turbines. Yeah. I, I, let's not get started with tidal wave with tidal <laughs> waves, but I mean we could we could bring that up uh, later mm -hmm. on. But I think so. I think hydrogen is the most probably expensive. yeah it probably is because like anytime you start having to lay down pipes and 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 things under pressure, mm -hmm. it becomes a problem. Basically, you need skilled trades. You need special bushings, you need special fittings, you need special materials, you need thicker materials. Like it, it just complicates everything when you're dealing with things at, at high pressure. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I would say that is probably accurate just from my gut feeling. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, so I mean, uh, yeah, like wind, wind is gonna be a pretty big player. Like I said, like 20 to 30%, I would say of the market, um, wind is, you know, typically more consistent, um, especially if you're putting it out to sea. So I think you'll actually see um, more um, offshore-based wind farms in the next few years. So right now, a lot of the wind has been onshore. Um, you know, you see sometimes, like, you're driving by and you see, like, near a farm, you see a wind turbine. Um, but the problem is that, like, a lot of people are against it for some reason. All the NIMBY, not in my backyard people, it makes a lot of noise. It, um, you know, kills migratory birds sometimes. I think they've mostly worked that out, though, with, like, how they color the turbine. I think they found out that white turbines are actually the ones that the birds impact the least, which is actually kind of interesting, because you would have thought it would be, like, a green one or something, but I guess they think it's a tree and they fly right into it. <laughs> um, um, but back back at that, yeah, like, uh, certain cities, they, they've implemented quite a lot. Um, one of them is, I think... Uh, Nyborg, Nyborg, uh, it's this, uh, it's a city in Denmark. They like while I was passing by there, it's just like all you see is like on the shore, not on the shores, but just on this on the level of the seats. Like you get to see a ton of these 
um, wind turbines being set up and I'm mm-hmm. like, whoa, astonished about the amount of wind, mm-hmm. uh, wind turbines that are being created, at least in that area. Um, mm-hmm. I haven't really looked at other, other countries really. I mean, Germany has quite a lot in there on land. Whereas in Denmark, it's all on, on sea, so... Yeah, I mean, like, I have an article here. It says the cost of offshore wind is falling steeply, okay. and they project that it'll keep doing so. And so the reason for... They're, they're saying that the, that offshore will take off is it has a higher and steadier wind speed, and uh, especially in deeper waters. And, um, and basically, the floating wind turbines uh, basically could be utility-scale, because you can have, like, giant, giant, giant ones. There's no really, um, you know... In, in urban areas, you know, there's footprint considerations. There's um, there's considerations for noise. That, well, mostly noise. Mostly, yeah, even, mostly noise. even there's restrictions on height of buildings yes. and stuff like that. So they need, like, special permits for this. So in open waters, no, nobody cares. And you can... The only problem that they've had in the previous past is that, okay, maintaining it means you need to, like, either fly a helicopter out there or a boat. So that's like annoying, and also the you need subsea cabling, HB or um, HB basically subsea cabling. Okay. So connecting it becomes kind of like a challenge. You can't just trench a little cable or put it in the air. You have to literally like put it underwater. Yeah. And so that's kind of annoying. But they're saying, oh, like you know, they're coming up with new technologies on how to lay these cables, and and then they say, okay, well, eventually it'll be, it'll be as good or if not better than the land-based wind farms well we'll see we'll see like it does solve some problems i think there'll be a combination obviously like of you know some areas designated for land-based turbines and then that that people are not really that close to and then um some uh, some water onshore based one offshore i mean and yeah so so that's a that's a thing but there's a lot of improvements in wind um wind turbines that are happening so i have this roadmap of research priorities and basically so they're you know the turbine scaling and making it more and more lightweight so there's like composite materials it's really material-based science on how to reduce the um like the 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 weight and the thickness of these materials also the manufacturing they're saying they're looking into new technologies on how to manufacture them like more efficiently um, there are also uh, a lot of uh, investment into science, uh, atmospherics and oceanographic science, so better mapping of where there's the most wind. And you know, before I don't think the maps were that detailed on on places that nobody cared about. Like, you know, you need a station there um, to monitor the wind, and then and then nobody really went out there to really measure it because it was in the middle of nowhere, mm-hmm. and so nobody cared. And nobody had a map. <laughs> but now they're seeing like all these like lidar based. Uh, radar-based uh, satellite maps that are very accurate that they're using to upload all this data to find the best spot for the most wind. And so you're seeing that yields for wind power are actually increasing that way. And also it's better, they're designing it better so that they're reducing the operation and maintenance. And they're finding, like I said, with the white paint and everything like that, like uh, ways to uh, lower the impact on wildlife. And um, the blade design actually, they're finding like with micro fine tuning of the blade they can actually like um, lower the vortexes at the ends of the fins and therefore they can lower the amount of decibels of sound they produce like it's the like, same thing with planes i think they're actually doing the same similar things with the 
with, with some of these like wind vortexes but basically yeah it's like crazy material science where there's like 3d autocad mapping and they can lower the like the, the sound generator because right. right now they generate like if you're close to a wind turbine it's really loud it's it's like a jet engine almost oh really that's <laughs> yeah, yeah, how it's much like, decibels like, i think yeah. it's like 70 80 70, 70, yeah it's yeah. about 75 for a jet engine yeah now. something like that damn so it's super loud you have to wear your hearing protection but yeah so if they can lower this down yeah. people will be more open to having it and uh yeah i mean there's lots lots of improvements going on in in all these sectors hmm so yeah, so that's uh, and also yeah, the one of the uh, challenges actually of transportation of the pieces. So oh, man. I've had to do a lot of transportation of like oversized loads, <laughs> and it's not that easy. Like uh, a lot of planning goes, and they have to take very specific routes because these blades. Well, I haven't done blade like blade, <laughs> um, uh, blade shipping, but okay. you know other other off uh, oversized pieces, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like literally it. The problem is like literally the wides are the roads are not wide enough in some spots to make the turns and you can't even get your piece to where you need it to go <laughs> so literally sometimes you you say okay i'm gonna put a power plant uh like a uh, wind plant in this area well like guess what you need to like upgrade the entire road for like 300 kilometers because you just can't make the turns or the roads are not wide enough yeah they're not like wide that. enough to keep yeah. the, the components to bring the transport the components yeah, yeah so then so that's like it becomes a giant problem yeah and they have to like develop their special trucks that bring these wind turbines because they're so long and they have to like swivel have you ever seen them no so look it up look it up like it's a it's like a it's like a truck that can swivel the blades as it's moving so that they can actually lower the radius of the turn uh, so you're talking about the transport, the transportation vehicle of the of the wind turbine, yeah. Okay. Let's check that out. Here, let me see. Yeah. If you can find it, that would be cool. Um, yeah, let me. Here you go. It's kind of cool. If anyone has a lot of time, it's uh, it's very cool. <laughs> you can literally here. So just swag. Uh, Holy yeah, yeah. So it's like basically Mary. this like this truck thing that it like puts the blade on a boom yeah. and it can like literally swivel it up to make the turn more manageable <laughs> but it's crazy that, thing. that is yeah jeez guys uh look it up when you have time you can have nice youtube videos and it's literally like even this this type as well it's like basically like the the blade becomes the truck yeah like there's no truck there's just a blade with wheels like it's uh it's pretty interesting guys i have to say and That's so so improvements like that, where there's very smart people coming up with these very ingenious solutions on how to do this. And they have, but the thing is that they have to manufacture this solution custom for it to work. And so it takes a bit longer for the technology to, to develop. So yeah, that's, um, that's one of these things that that's going on. With wind turbines. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, but the other thing is, is that so you would scale so you would scale that like at the moment it's going to be solar wind and then hydrogen or well i think hydrogen will be only for storage and then some generation in some like very specific cases of like off-grid or it's very hard to get to or okay then let me rephrase it'll be for for consumers okay okay so for well yeah but even that's grids like grid level right so yeah. I, I think it'll be uh yeah it'll be solar um, then uh, wind and then um, hydroelectric and um, maybe like biofuels or 
tidal, like whatever. The last ten percent will be maybe nuclear. Yeah. Um, like the last bit, just to just to round it off. Round yeah. it off. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, it's uh yeah. I mean like, uh yeah, hydroelectric. If you want to talk about that, like I do think it, it is a pretty good source of energy. It's I I think most of the rivers in the world are already dammed to capacity. If you actually look at the statistics, um, most of the places where there's a good potential for uh, hydroelectric, it's already dammed and they're already being used. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of problems. A lot of the problems with hydroelectric is actually political and not necessarily like technological or like a lot of people point to like wildlife implications where they, cause they have to flood an area, but okay like it after a few years it kind of rebalances itself out the ecosystem so it's well, like a sh i would say short-term problem i mean it depends it depends right like w like it depends we would need to talk to someone who's much more who works in that field in, in mm -hmm. a sense i mean you're right you're right about it it's just like yes there there are implications and there will be changes to the to the ecosystem and yes it will rebalance itself but while it's rebalancing itself I guess there will be some losses here and there, but then again, we're looking, this is kind of like a necessary evil, right? It's just, if you're you just want, moving it from one place to another, right? Yeah, exactly. But in this case, while you're moving it, yeah, some areas might get damaged, but I mean, there's still some greater good in this, right? You're doing this for the greater good in a way. Yeah. I mean, there's the argument to be made yeah. if humans are good for the planet or not, if you oh, want to see it like man. that. Yeah. But, um, you know, survival, we are just, you know, animals at its core and we're doing our best to propagate the species and survive. So we are also completing the animal kingdom. And if you want to think of it like that, so <laughs> we are the most adapted uh, life form, I guess. Yeah. But yeah, back to uh, hydroelectric. Yeah, like basically a lot of the things that are stopping additional hydro from um, being built is, is political, really, if you want to talk about that. Um, so there's a lot of areas in the world where there's no dams and there's a big potential to uh, dam up the river. However, doing so causes a big problem with uh, country to country, let's say. Mm -hmm. So just one example is um, China damming up uh, the Mekong River, well, the sources of the Mekong River, like further upstream in the, um, in the Himalayas, basically. And so what's going on is, yeah, they're generating clean power for themselves. However, uh, the type of hydro plants that they use are not the pass-through kind, where it just lets all the power go through. It's the ones that hold back the water. And so what they're doing is they're using it as like a political weapon for Viet to, to Vietnam and Cambodia. I think Cambodia. I think the Me I'm not sure if the Mekong passes through Cambodia, to be honest. Um, but, uh, but yeah, they're basically holding back water and they're using it as a political tool saying but under the guise that they need it to generate power mm -hmm. saying um our citizens need clean energy that's why we built it but in reality or as a side you know as a benefit to both is that they can use it as a political tool they hold back the water and then the crops in vietnam fail because they can't get all the water they need to grow their rice so and you see this like all the time like in the congo river um they have the inga Megadam project and basically the problem with that is that Congo, like I think 90% of Congo doesn't even have electricity, like of the people in Congo. It's, I think it's one of the, I think it is, or I think the Central African Republic is maybe the poorest country in the world, but 
Um, Congo is definitely one of the poorest countries in the world where the vast majority of people are like living on a few dollars. You know, it's like one of those, like in the nineties, you would see the commercials like, oh yeah, Africa lives on $1 a day. That is not true in most of Africa anymore, but it is still true, I think in the Congo <laughs> and it's one of the last places. Um, and yeah, so this mega dam, the only person it'll benefit because the most of the people in the region don't have power, it'll only benefit diamond mining companies and gold mining companies and silver mining companies, which are, it's like a cartel. So, so there's that one. And then, uh, there, Ethiopia is damming up the Nile, the blue Nile, I think it is, or the white Nile, I forget which side is which. Um, and they're basically holding, um, Sudan and Egypt hostage because, Obviously, those are both desert countries with the only way to get anything done there is, is um, through the, the Nile's flooding. And so if they hold back the water, the Nile doesn't flood anymore and they can't feed their people anymore. And Egypt is a very large country. It's almost, I think, 100 million people. And so you're, you're basically holding 100 million people hostage. So there's that one. There's a whole, I think also you have the Amazon River they want to dam up. But the problem is that it's always like in the middle of these like tribal rainforests, like owned by tribes, right? So basically, the tribes are really uh, pissed off because you're basically ruining their whole life in order to provide power to the the urban folk. So, um, and, and you see this also in Canada too with the the Inuit and Métis, where they dam up all these rivers, yeah. like East Main and up north, um, and basically. They, they they end up passing it by kind of bribing the politicians saying they're going to create some jobs for the these like aboriginal people um but then you know yeah yeah it does like it probably does it creates like maybe 50 jobs or something mm -hmm. but then it ruins the lives of like 500 or a thousand or whatever for the let's say greater good quote-unquote of canada or the u.s or whatever right yeah so then you, it's it's very it's very political so that, that's the problem with these giant giant infrastructure projects that, that solar and wind really don't have because it's more distributed, the impact, right? Like if you put solar panels in a field, how many people care? Maybe not that many. <laughs> like it just, well, it does take up agricultural land in a lot of yeah. cases. So that's why there's projects in uh, Morocco, for example, in the middle yes, of the desert true. that that's are very, true, right? and, and in Nevada, I think, Nevada and New Mexico. Nevada where they say, they say like if you cover like a certain percentage of New, Nevada and New Mexico, with solar panels, you can actually power the entire U.S. during the day. Like, I think it's like 9% of New Mexico being covered in solar panels or something is enough to power the entire U.S. during the day while there's sunlight available. Okay. So, so yeah, and so you say, okay, well, you know, if we cover that uh, in solar panels, then, then we have enough and it's not really affecting any agricultural land because it's in the middle of nowhere. And but then this so this nine percent of land so this is in the middle of nowhere right so no one actually technically lives yeah there. Okay. i mean there are probably people like there there are um the navajo people i think that are that own a lot of the land um right. so you know there again there's a political situation involved yeah but um but another thing that actually is well let's on the topic of ev uh, uh photovoltaics pvs photovoltaics yeah, is that I think they did a study where it's like if you cover all the roofs in the world with uh, PV cells, then you actually have like enough uh, power to like, you know, power the entire earth 10 times or something like that. <laughs> because really? like, think about the amount of roofs in the world that are doing nothing. They're just 
exposed to the sun. And actually, that's like <laughs> when you're designing roofs, because I've, I've designed roofs in my life, um, one of the considerations is how reflective the surface of the roof is because you're absorbing so much um, sunlight into the roof deck that you're actually like causing a heating problem to the, the units uh, and you need to cool it down more. So right. if you actually put white roofs, it reflects higher amounts of sunlight and therefore you don't need to cool the building down as much during the summer and therefore um, therefore you save energy, right? Yeah. So now you can say, oh, well, we're going to just put solar panels. Mm -hmm. It's going to absorb the sun and you don't really need to worry about heating up your building because it'll just absorb the sun into energy. So that's that's a thing. And also there's, um, actually, if you scroll down into the, our notes here, yeah. um, there's actually a lot of buildings being built now. Well, not a lot, like let's say some, some just as technology demonstrators where the windows themselves are uh, solar panels. So they're cadmium tellurium or telluride uh, uh, solar panels. And so they're clear, like they're semi-transparent, but they, um, they actually capture energy. So imagine all windows creating power for the units. So now you're talking about literally the roof, the walls. This is literally um, five sides of a cube out of yep. six that, that are generating power for you. Well, that's the thing, right? Because like these days, these days what they're trying to do is they're coating uh, the windows with uh, a type of uh, photo, a photovoltaic um, film which will then act as a way of absorbing that that energy so it's kind of like it's it's not a wasteful it's not wasteful energy it's like wherever the rotate wherever the sun is going it will then start taking uh energy from their harvest that energy so yeah it's it's amazing so yeah exactly so imagine like it's not just the roof footprint it's actually five times let's say the roof if it's a perfect cube which the building's not necessarily but yeah yeah let's say five times the surface area and if you're saying that the just the surface area of the roofs can power 10 times the world imagine five times that surface so but you're then like, what's the cost like what is the cost do you know what's the cost of let's say like these windows and whatnot or it's... um I, it's probably more expensive than a regular solar panel yeah. but I, obviously the cost will decline i think the main problem with them is that they um cabling them is like kind of annoying because you have to run cables mm -hmm. like obviously it has to the power goes to something, right? Yeah. So you have to bring it, let's say, to a battery bank or something, which means every window now has a cable back to a battery bank somewhere, which is just like extra work, <laughs> to be honest, extra copper, extra aluminum. Um, but this is just an, in but it's it's more like just the initial is installation yeah, that's exactly. going to be an annoyance. But if it means that you don't need to uh, do some replacements, like if the maintenance window for this, for these windows, uh, it's like every years or five years I yeah well, I think the maintenance for like that's one of the the main advantages for PV is that there's almost no maintenance right the maintenance is mostly on the storage medium like the batteries mm -hmm. and then on some, you maybe sometimes you have to scan the, um, the, the the contacts and the um, how do you say like the, the the fittings of the cabling the ends of the cables to make sure right. they're not overheating and they're torqued properly and um, and things like that and then also cleaning the solar panels, like power pressure washing the, the panels to make sure they're getting, they're not dirty. Um, but there's no moving parts. So that's why they fail a lot less. Like it would be very weird to me if, if a solar panel like fails within, let's say 10 years even, because there's nothing really 
it's just transistor gates, right? Like no, it is, it is. But I guess, I guess, what I'm thinking about is like you know, how about um, countries where the climate is uh, has has extremes? So let's say Canada, for instance, um, they have extreme cold and sometimes they have extreme heat. Like, mm-hmm. how would that affect these uh, these solar panels or the windows? Yeah. So- so well, let's let's go with okay one at a time. Yeah, one <laughs> yeah. at a time. Sure. So heating, so heating, um, is a problem with solar panels. Uh, so they actually make the solar panels not absorb as much as they could. Mm-hmm. Like it's actually lower efficiency, just yep. because that is the concern is that they'll heat up so much, absorb so much energy that they become like sixty degrees Celsius and melt. <laughs> Right. Yeah. So, so whatever. So, but in in for example, in Morocco, they have these. They actually put. They're looking at putting a silver coating, um, under the array, like okay. under the, the PV. Okay. So the PV itself is, a, a bit clear, and then under it is a, silver, um, substrate that reflects the rest of the energy that doesn't get absorbed. Mm-hmm. So then, first of all, it absorbs one way, it bounces, absorbs a second time into the into the PV cell mm-hmm. and then they focus it onto let's say a mirror or something that well it becomes a mirror and they focus it onto some sort of I don't know heat uh, water source that they boil yeah. and that turns uh, and it turns a turbine so that way you reduce the amount of heat absorbed it but then you're also increasing the efficiency of the cell because you're multiple times uh, um, getting that PV gain and then also using it to boil water which can turn a turbine so the efficiency is super super high and then your heat problem is mitigated right like obviously this only works in certain areas because this is like yeah this is like the desert yeah, it's, but it's it's not like one true fits all kind of thing but i mean that's that's the thing that people shouldn't get uh disillusioned with with which is that oh this one solution can be the the solution to all of our problems it's more like it depends situationally speaking where it's going to be applied right so yeah, exactly. Uh, and you had a different point. Uh, most of my most of my points were just about like the extreme weather. Yeah, the extreme weather. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, let's say the snow. You said right. So, yeah. um, the, I think they they have a type of PV that actually, it still works slight like some someone that's like I don't know five ten percent efficiency even when covered with a certain amount of snow. So, and also let's say what they the, what they do in in these cold countries is they put a black substrate. That absorbs more heat um, so actually the sun radiation goes through the snow somewhat it heats up this black substrate and then melts the snow so it's kind of okay. like self cleaning I guess if yeah, you want to call it like yeah or what you do is you put like a heating cable mm-hmm. and then with a little battery it just melts the snow during the day and then that way you don't have to go up and clean it um, but that's like obviously an energy loss for not that much gain yeah. so yeah there are some or you just send a guy to do it the old-fashioned way you know (laughs) (laughs) with a shovel you know um but yeah so there's yeah there's that um they are creating uh solar panels with like a you know like a gorilla glass kind of thing like your phone that can resist let's say like tornadoes or hail or hurricanes yeah yeah so they they know like you know if there's hail it could break the 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 glass so yeah yeah, they're, they're making things like that Oh, wow. Okay. So, yeah, like you said, there's not one solution for everything, but yeah. uh, there's definitely a lot of innovation in that sector. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, it's becoming more and more. Even even the solar panels now, they're not necessarily just stationary, right? A lot of times they have, they're, like, on a 
on a swiveling bed that actually tracks the sun as it as it uh, travels across the sky and that way they always have a constant supply of energy at the most optimum angle so that's another thing they, they've been uh, implementing mm-hmm so yeah, so there's uh, lots of interesting developments. That's why I think it's it's probably going to be 60% of, of all energy. It's just easier to deploy. You can put it anywhere. Uh, it's it's easier to maintain. It's, it's pretty cheap. It's very easy to scale. Uh, you don't have a few. You know, the modules attached together in series, right? Right. So you just say, okay, I need one. Okay, put one. I need five. I put five. Like it's, and you just daisy chain them up together to a controller and you're done. Right, as opposed to everything else, yeah, of course, this is the most. Yeah, I mean, easiest. like, yeah. if you have one turbine and you want to put a like wind turbine and you want to put a second one, it's like, uh, well, good luck, good luck with that. <laughs> yeah, like depending on how big the turbine is, they yeah. have to be they have to be a certain distance apart, and there's regulations or respect to let migratory birds pass between them and stuff like that. And so, do you have really that much space on your own property? Even even on your property, like, um, there is so many regulations municipal at the municipal level. Yeah. Like, they're not going to let you put up a wind turbine. I think, like, in a lot of places, let's say in Canada, that you can put maybe uh, one that does max, like, two kilowatts or something. Like, it's, like, a tiny, 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 like, maybe three three foot diameter, and that's mm-hmm. it. And it's usually used to, like, power little things on your farm. <laughs> like, so, yeah, it's, you know, all these uh, Karens are going to be uh, looking at it. They're going to be like, like, uh, ah, it's annoying, it's ugly, I don't want to see it from my backyard. But if it's like a PV array on your roof, they're gonna be like, oh, it looks like a normal roof, like. Or it looks ugly, but what can I do? It's not really bothering me. Yeah, maybe maybe they'll come out with some like pretty ones that are colored, (laughs) a green colored one, a red colored one. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, but yeah, let's see. So, so I think I think we stabbed quite a lot of solar solar in uh, in this in this. Like maybe maybe we should talk. Do we want to talk about um, title? But. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, tidal is just kind of like a variation on wind, where that's the, you're using ocean currents, and it's yeah. it's kind of the same technology, but underwater, I guess, waterproof, and and then it, it's like it, the the usefulness is that the ocean current doesn't really vary that much, like throughout the year, um, so you're just kind of getting like constant, like power. Yeah. But the problem is that yeah, again, it's like underwater. You need like scuba diving trained electricians and stuff to like go maintain it. And it has to be in the middle of nowhere, so you bring your boats out to the middle of nowhere. Make sure that no animals, fisheries, they... Yeah, and it's, like, very deep, and, yeah, yeah, like you said, like, the the fish get, like, hit by the blades, I guess, or... Is it done by blades, or is it done... Because, uh, I mean, like, from what I I saw, it was just, like, a bunch of paddles or, like... It's, like, um, yeah, you know those, like, old steamships, like, from the 1880s? Yeah. Yeah, they had those red paddles. Oh, okay. It's kind of like that... Yeah. Well, I've seen models like that where it's like kind of like that, but underwater. I've also seen the blade ones where it's underwater. Mm-hmm. It looks like a blade, and then there's also ones that kind of go up and down and they bob up and down with the I water. I think I'm talking about the up and down, like the bobbing, yeah. the bobbing ones. Yeah. 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 So there's those as well. Um, so yeah, there's all kinds of stuff. There's different. There, there are different variations of tiles. Yeah. Um. So okay. Yeah. But I don't I think don't... it. I don't think it'll be, like that much of the composition of the grid like i think maybe in a few areas it might be useful it's complementary yeah it's complementary yeah. but is it, is it really going to be massively used uh, like it also like it complicates shipping lanes like it's you have to make sure the ships don't hit it you have to 
it's yeah. in, if it's in international waters like who owns the rights like can you actually do it um, so yeah i mean it's just it's it's going to be minimal it's like like you you were saying it's like 10 percent, 5 percent yeah like exactly like that's, what, that's what i think i don't know i mean if someone thinks i'm wrong chime in the comments <laughs> yeah but maybe we should talk about um like the ev component the ev component yeah yeah, sure. yeah so so basically you know we're last episode uh, check it out if you haven't it's awesome um we talked about autonomous vehicles and kind of at the same time evs um that we think are going to be the you know dominant form of terrestrial transportation and so what comes around with it is a bunch of problems as well so now you're going to be charging your car at the at your house so your house needs to con- it will be consuming more power and therefore the grid is going to be a bit more strained because it's not used to this load right mm-hmm. so um so basically in effect is that instead of all the energy being consumed higher up at the grid like at the utility level where they're next to these you know fuel uh like refineries basically it's being shifted down to the local level so you might have to upgrade all the the lines the power lines in your area uh, upgrade the substations in your area so that's going to be like a pretty big cost right and that's going to happen whether the utility's prepared for it or not because unless the utility says hey our grid is strained and we're actually going to charge cars that are charging at like double the rate and then you might see it take longer to roll out um roll out like uh vehicles uh, yeah, the fleets of vehicles, the fleets yeah. of vehicles um which would kind of suck um but there's so much push for green energy that i don't know if that'll really take off in many places but basically so people will be inv- incentivized to actually put solar panels on their roofs to charge their cars and to charge their houses and that way now the grid is like so messed up like it's you know we've been designing grids in a certain way for a hundred years and now suddenly it's complete the, the power profile that needs to be adhered to is completely off where the the the, the, pa- the power is being generated at the, the house level and there's tons of demand at the house level and the batteries that are being charged are actually like a leading power factor not a, a lagging lagging is mostly like motors uh, your oven yeah the induction based loads right so the whole grid, which is set up for inductive loads, is now actually leading. So you actually need to like like the utility needs to get rid of capacitive capacitor banks that it installs. Um, so there's a big shift, and so what you might see is the idea of V2G or H2G, which okay. is vehicle to grid or um, or house to home to grid. So where they actually can the, the utility can say, okay, instead of all this like regulation, and we don't want you like messing around with this. We can actually just like pay you um, to send energy back to the grid during peak hours, and therefore we don't really need to reinvest all the money to redo the whole grid or a portion of the grid or whatever. Yeah. Because we can now pay you to become a peaker plant essentially. So peaker plant is, you know, power plants that are basically on idle, mm-hmm. um, and they only ramp up during, let's say, the evening or the morning when you have the most power being used. I see. Yeah, okay. Which I think was like 20% of all power being consumed. It's usually these, these peaker plants. 
Like it's like twenty percent of the capacity of the grid is peaker plants, basically. So these these peaker plants, they're just they're so you said that they're they're there on idle and they're waiting for when there's like yeah, yeah. A, a huge load. So actually, like yeah, the crazy thing about it is usually they're like some coal or natural gas uh, power plants, and they actually run all day. Mm-hmm. So they don't shut them off and on. They actually just shut the, um, they just close the, uh, like the tides of the grid when they need to put the power on. Mm-hmm. So basically you're just turning a turbine all day and you're generating CO2 emissions and the power is just going in heat off into the sky, <laughs> which is crazy. And then, so basically, and it's only like, let's say a few hours a day where they actually close it and they, because it's not economical to ramp the production down and close it completely because it takes a few hours for it to ramp back up. So it's not there when you need it, the demand. Like yeah, the, the it's energy. not on demand. Yeah. So it takes, yeah, it takes like a few hours, right? And this is with traditional, this is with traditional. Yeah, this is how the, dra- the grid is traditionally done everywhere, basically. Okay. I, I can't think of any so, other so place. I'm wondering, like with renewable energy, it's like how long would it take to ramp it up? Like, uh, let's say, let's say you were to shut it down for mm-hmm. X and Y reasons. Let's, let's just go with that. Like, how long do you think it would take just to like ramp that up in, in comparison to like so you mean like so let's say you're saying that it's h2g or v2g yeah. and it's like it's used being used to shave the peak off of this energy grid mm-hmm. it's essentially immediately because okay it's a battery at that point it's a distributed battery you're like you're creating all these batteries for these cars anyways so you don't want to have to because if, if the utility does it they need to deploy all this new infrastructure of batteries well it's already there like uh, and uh, usually when you're using the most energy at home, you're not driving, obviously, because you're at yeah. home. Yeah, <laughs> so, that's true. Yeah. So it makes sense that you can actually just like, um, so it's just all software at that point. You just say, you know, uh, well, there's like a bit of hardware component at the home level, which is, you know, like a Tesla Powerwall. Yeah. Like they need to buy those, but they need to buy them also to have the battery back up for their house. It's so that they can power it at, at night. Um, so it's kind of already there. And you can just, it's literally software where you subscribe to a service and the utility will just literally on command tell your phone or your, your home via your phone or whatever, if you're on Bluetooth range or whatever, and it'll say on. And literally there's a contactor in your Tesla Powerwall or whatever other Powerwall you have to start sending energy back to the grid immediately because it's battery. There's no lag to, to do this. So yeah. it's instant and you can say, oh, well we only need like some people so you can actually say oh i don't want to subscribe at this time i only want to subscribe at midnight so they might say okay well you know some a portion of the people get to get a higher rate because they're at the peak climb they don't need it they, they, they've subscribed at that time they get turned on but you don't get turned on because you're only subscribed at midnight because you want to charge your car all day and uh whatever so you know they can actually select which people they actually which group wants to go when and that way they can actually have like a whole coverage. Okay, that's that's actually neat the, the fact that they could do that. That's actually Yeah, neat. exactly. Like I mean I mean eventually like uh, everyone needs to install these walls and batteries. Well, I mean as long as the car is plugged in, mm-hmm. you can do V2G. So let's say you're but it's kind of annoying cuz then you're like not charging your car anymore. You're you're char- it's reverse charging the grid, right? So yeah. the reason it's plugged in is because you want it to charge yeah. unless it's at a point where it's already fully charged and then you can just kind of power it back to the grid but that's why it's like yeah, we, we need those power walls to be, really be the most effective i'd yeah. say yeah yeah to power it up and then from there but i mean either way it's kind of like the owner would need to just start charging the minute that they start parking their car 
and then once it's fully charged, then it should go to the grid. Yeah, which is typically what you do, right? Like when you go home, you the first thing you do is you park your car, you plug it in. If you're if you're a responsible adult. Yeah, if you're responsible, and then well, you're gonna want to do it because you're gonna get money for it, right? That's true. Okay, actually, yeah, that is a good. Incentive, it'll actually yeah. be more money yeah. than you are paying in power, right? Like yeah. you're, the utility's paying you, so you're gonna make money off of it, and so you're gonna. It, and I don't know how long it takes to charge the car these days, depending on your the model of battery and the voltage at your house and the I model of power wall. It's, I believe it's about three hours. Yeah, if you have like a Tesla, like that. Yeah, it's, it's mostly I'm talking about yeah, like a high Tesla. voltage charging one, maybe yeah. like a higher voltage, not high voltage really. But um, yeah, so let's say let's say let's say six hours, right? So you charge it, you you come back home at six p.m., you charge it till midnight, and then from midnight on, it's already fully charged. So maybe you can do four hours, uh, releasing back to the grid for four a.m., and then it'll start charging again from four to six a.m. or seven a.m. so that you can have that fully charged car when you need to drive. Mm-hmm. So something like that, right? So yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll leave it up to the, these people, the, these smart people to figure out the best <laughs> scenario, obviously, but you know, it's just a, a, like an interesting idea of how to shave the peak because you have all this infrastructure that's already deployed and you don't want to have to double up everything and you know, people can benefit from that and the utility can benefit from it. So it's like a win-win all around. So, Aside from that, I mean, what else should we... So let's see, we've talked about PV, we talked yeah. about wind, um, yeah. we've talked about, um, hydrogen. Talked about hydrogen. We talk, So, okay, there's, there's an interesting few last topics maybe before we start wrapping up, but um, biofuels. So it's an interesting um, area. So, yeah. so they're actually doing like research where like, okay, so like I was saying, back at the beginning, beginning, beginning of this podcast where sun powers the whole world, right? Yeah. Like, what if, like, you know, there's like, um, uh, whatever, uh, there's there's phytoplankton, algae, and, and all these things that, you know, My, absorb uh, microorganisms. microbes that absorb yeah. um, sun, even plants that absorb sun and create energy out of it, right? Yeah. So what if they could, I don't know, feasibly, like this is like a what if scenario where they make tanks of these algae and it creates a small amount of current because these algae are absorbing the sun. And then you can actually harness this small current being injected in the water and then, um, you know, basically power the whole grid basically of but algae, right? But yeah. They're the, so they've actually, they started like, um, yeah, they, they have like in the labs, this, this actually is a, is a thing where they've, okay. they've been able to, it's obviously right now it's like in microcurrent, right? Mm-hmm. But maybe one day they could find some, like genetically modify these algae and and have these high producing blooms that would be in a tank and then so it's it's kind of like solar at that point like so then you can argue that oh why are you doing this intermediate step when you can just do solar but it is like an interesting um possibility it's it's an interesting possibility and once again it's like you have to test it out and see if it's worth trying that out in comparison to just uh, relying only on solar because at the end of the day we're we're experimenting we're we've reached a point in our society where it's kind of like why don't we just try different things and see where they all fit where the where the pieces fit in this puzzle that we're we're trying to build so yeah. biofuels using algae and cyanobacteria could be a possibility yeah exactly so that's like that's a very interesting niche and that's that's like 
that's cutting edge stuff, guys. That's uh, that's uh, really experimental. But um, you know, it's it's interesting. And then I guess like the last thing maybe we could talk about is uh, nuclear, because uh, I I think nuclear is basically, I would say it's pretty. I think it's pretty renewable. safe. Like, it's you know like people say it's not really a renewable energy source, but like I said when we were talking about again like the algae and like it all comes back to the sun. The sun's just a nuclear energy source. It's performing fission so mm-hmm. and then there's also fusion which will you know <laughs> you can argue it'll never be a created <laughs> the fusion reactors it's always 20 years away but um but yeah so fish uh fish, you know nuclear power um you know there's these days there's always roadmaps for uh more and more safer uh reactors and basically you're just turning a steam turbine to be honest like at the end of the day it's basically like a microwave in a giant building yeah <laughs> like, makes sense you're boiling water so it's like, you know, I, I think it's, it, it is a good energy source. It's pretty safe. It's, um, you know, the, they, they have new technology to dispose of the, of the radioactive material that's generated by the one, when they're fully decayed. Yeah. When they're fully and, decayed. Um, yeah. And, you know, they can actually, um, re, re, uh, repurpose it or. Yeah. They could repurpose it one. Um, okay. there are some uses for it. Not that much. Uh, but there is, and then they can also re, um, I don't know, re-regenerate it. I don't remember the oh, word for it. they could revitalize it. They could, uh... Yeah, like you back. can re... I don't know. I'm thinking about, like, recharge. Yeah, it's basically like recharging it. it. Oh, man. There is a specific word for this, guys. Um, okay. But, um... Rehydrate? Yeah, exactly. Something something like that, okay. Yeah, but apparently like, the yield is, like, lower the next time around, so you need a different type of power plant which, like, uses this, but maybe, the, like, there would be, like, a life cycle chain where they keep propagating this lower grade fuel down and down and down until it's no more reusable then it gets sent into this like vault where it can just live out the rest of its life but see this is this is my question about this vault Mm -hmm. like how much space is it taking and like at what point are we just are we just going to be hoarding like all this (laughs) useless waste yeah i I mean i guess if if we end up powering the and like you know 100 of the energy grid Maybe then you might say there's like some sort of problem, but usually what it is is they just dig down into this like underground vault and they store it in this like whatever this stone concrete yeah. shaft and like it's it's like nobody's under there right <laughs> like there's not like literally they just drive out of the middle of nowhere there's like a vault they drop drill down like three hundred feet they put it down like there's nothing there so um, you know if you had put it under the basement of your building. 300 400 feet down like 30 30 stories down yeah will you ever know no <laughs> I mean, like i mean i mean you'll you i don't will... think we'll run out of space is basically the the end yeah idea yeah, yeah right okay no it's it's just because i always thought that like it's it's true if we were relying purely on nuclear energy this would become a problem but right now this would be just complementary energy source so it's waste would maybe be negligible uh in terms of space usage but then then again i'm also thinking like far ahead like i'm like where like if let's say we do run out of space like what do we do with it do we just take like these like i had this crazy idea do you just you just like grab all these tanks uh these tanks of useless useless waste and you just like go board it on a rocket ship and you just like (laughs) shoot it out into the universe because it's like (laughs) well we don't know where it's going so yeah, I mean, um, I would, I would not think that that's a good idea. Uh, first of all, you're 
sending radioactive material into a rocket into space and if it explodes then it like sh shrapnel of radioactive material falls onto people <laughs> below <laughs> so typically okay. typically not, that off. not yeah, a good idea but also no. like you don't really want to be sending too much material into space because yeah. earth is like a closed system right so as long as it's in the earth it's you're not losing energy well that much let's say energy to the space right mm -hmm. so there's probably like they'll probably find some i don't know bacteria that can like decay you know uranium whatever expense right. uranium eventually one day let's say that's like the idea is that they might develop some technique to un radiate <laughs> disradiate i don't know how to disradiate, disradiate the uranium yeah. like you know you can transform the radi the, the uranium down to some sort of stable element that's not radioactive and then maybe you can convert it into something else and then your chain of energy is complete and you're not really losing it because like throwing material out into space all day is really not a good use of energy yeah. <laughs> or material or anything really yeah <laughs> so you kind of want to avoid doing that as much as possible basically so yeah i mean maybe they'll just i don't know gather all of it up and put it in some sort of chamber that absorbs radiation of that spectrum and then it generates some small amount of current even though it's just kind of sitting there i don't know maybe i mean who knows it's it's it would be good to know if they're if they're capable of doing something with it but yeah i think i need to do more um more uh research onto yeah. specific um compounds of uh spent uranium and how it how it uh, it reacts and things like that but i'm not an expert on that yeah of course of course <laughs> uh, yeah so so that's i am um, i think we, we've kind of gone through the list of uh, of um, most of talk. most of yeah the topics of um, renewable energy so i don't know is, is there any closing uh sentence well well actually let's say let's see um what would you invest in if 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 you had a, uh, whatever a thousand dollars to put uh what what do you think after after talking about all these things uh what what are your 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 top investment picks I would still invest in uh, solar panels only because it's a reasonable, uh, a reasonable investment to go with. Just because you you've seen the tried and true effect that it's it's working it's working alongside pretty well. There aren't any issues with it. So but, are are you gonna invest? So let's say when you say you're gonna invest in solar panels, are you gonna invest in solar city? Um, yeah, yeah, like the the company that deploys the solar panels, the 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 company that manufactures the solar panels like a panasonic or something are you going to invest in the company that mines the the silicon uh to to create these panels uh the utility that deploys these panels there's a lot of the opportunities there yeah, i mean there, there that's why i want our viewers to think about this because there's a lot of um potential there and uh and i don't think there's there's necessarily a, a, a correct answer to this i think you can make money a lot of ways but uh I mean, yeah. you can't, you can't, but uh, for me, for me, I would think it's the companies that are mining it that, mm -hmm. that makes the most sense. And mm -hmm. let's say, let's say you wanted to invest in a company just for, uh, just for dividends, then I would say invest in a company that technically already has a solar panels and they're already setting it up in places. Why? Because this is a business that, I mean, hopefully they do, they, they do go with the idea of dividend investments. 
and then this way you get a bit of money with uh, with each return. Whereas if it's a mining company, I think that this would be a common common share that you could just kind of invest in it because it's probably not making as much money in the beginning. It's going to start ri rising up. It's going to follow trends. So these mm -hmm. are two ways that you could uh, think about it. Yep. Always find a company that has dividends and then also spend a bit of money on a common share stock. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think uh, I, I'm definitely a lower level uh, on the on the chain investor. So uh, yeah, like I would do battery manufacturing stocks. Um, so because basically like a battery manufacturer, if you pick the right one that has the right um, chemistry in the battery that really achieves scale, you could gain a lot of a lot, a lot of like multiples of returns, right? Um, so, but then it's also hard you, you have to be really, um, down low on the chemistry and the applications and the, the, so it is harder to pick. It's a long shot, but the gains could be many times greater. Right. Mm -hmm. I would say like, yeah, the investing in the mining company is like much safer bet because a lot of mines are going to be needed to fulfill the demand of the entire world. So you can have a lot of different mines that are operating relatively well. Right. Yeah. And then the other thing I would say is, yeah, investing in the uh, photovoltaic um, manufacturers like the silicon wafer manufacturers and things like that. So any like the chip, you know, how there's a chip shortage. It's kind of the same deal there. There are usually um, many companies that are doing similar. They're manufacturing the solar panels themselves. Right. So it's kind of the same idea where it's you're going straight to the manufacturing level because manufacturing is a high value added activity. And it's a, a, an activity that takes a lot of technology and expertise and, you know, um, a lot of research. Right. So there's a lot of pent up uh, value in that uh, activity. So, so yeah, that's my, my, my um, take on that. But yeah, I think so, guys, uh, I think that's a good uh, segue to end it there. Yeah, I think we should end it there. I mean, and thanks. Uh... Thanks for listening, everyone. You've been a great audience. And as always, this is Fox. And this is Hyena. And thanks for tuning in to the uh, Future Forecast channel. And we will see you on the next episode. All right. See you.